Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? All right. We got a lively crowd this morning. I love it. We're going to be uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. We're going to cover one verse this morning. How about that? <laughs> Hopefully I make it all the way to the end of it. Um, I, uh, I had this kind of topic on my heart for probably about six months now, this idea of peacemaker and the calling upon our lives to be peacemakers. And um, I've had an opportunity, I think, to teach on it, you know, um, either on a Wednesday or a Sunday, and I've just um, maybe been procrastinating or something, I don't know. I think, um, it, you know, even as I went through the study, I realized how far I'm short of God's calling upon my life in this area, and maybe that's why I've been pushing it off for this long. <laughs> and so, um, but here we are this morning, and God's continuing to work on me and, and you, of course, and um, I pray that, um, you know, as we, as we go through this morning, that you're, you're open to being peacemakers, and that's ideal that as a church, Calvary Restore, that we are known as peacemakers. Um, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read in verse 9. Um, as you could see, if you have a Bible like mine, I have a lot of red <laughs> on my Bible, if you have a red letter Bible. And this is the beginning of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus teaching. And um, we start out with what maybe in your Bible you have a header. It says the blessings or the beatitudes. And this is one of those uh, Beatitudes. And if, if you remember, the, the Beatitudes are attitudes you should be, right? The Beatitudes. Uh, be these attitudes. Um, and so let's read uh, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And um, what I wanted to point out for you, I got to, you're probably all, well, I'm guessing a lot of you are reading New King James Version, and that's what I read here. Um, I'm going to read also in the NIV, which is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And you can see kind of the subtle difference there. The translators translated sons of God to children of God. And um, just to... It's kind of a difficult translation, actually. I was looking at why, why did they call them sons of God versus children of God? And definitely the sons of God includes women and men. That's what I know for sure. The word that's typically used there is, it is a masculine word in the original language, but it's talking about the, if it was a different context, we're talking about God here, but if it was in a different context, it would be the the descendants of Adam or the descendants of man from a masculine source, right? And that's what the word means. So the NIV saying children is accurate. Uh, the New King James and some other versions saying son, uh, you, it just takes on that masculine source. Um, but here specifically in verse 9, we're talking about sons of God. And so we've transitioned from being born in the flesh to being born in the spirit. Right, and so these are the descendants of God, and if you guys remember um, the the famous uh, Nick at Night, right, Nickelodeon or Nickelodeon, um, Nicodemus <laughs> uh, talking to Jesus, Nick at Night. Um, 
Get back on track, Brian. Uh, Nicodemus talking to Jesus, and he is um, there with Jesus, and he talks about this. In uh, John chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, we read, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And so the first point I want to make as we look at this in verse 9 is that this, these peacemakers um, that we're talking about here are children of God born in the Spirit. And so we can say, and I'm going to make this statement here, uh, hopefully we can all agree that if you are born again, you are called to be peacemakers. And the reason why I say that is some people speak of this like it's a gifting, like, oh, that person's gifted with peacemaking, you know, but that's not really how the Bible speaks of this. It's if you are born again, if you're a child of God, you are a peacemaker, or should I say, you are called to be a peacemaker, right? Do you all agree with that? Can I get an amen this morning? <laughs> all right. Um, another statement I'll make, and uh, we'll kind of look at a, a verse here, is that only those born again can be peacemakers. Um, and so let me, let me show you, I'm going to look at uh, John, and let's, let's turn there together, actually. John chapter 14, I want you to see this in your Bibles. Um, I have it up here. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's fine. Uh, keep your place. We'll be back in Matthew. Uh, John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Again, Jesus speaking here, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so Jesus there in verse 27, that's why I wanted you to look in your Bibles. He makes a distinction between the peace the world offers and the peace he offers. And there's a difference here. Um, I did a kind of a quick survey of Google of the word peacemaker, uh, the official source, right? Google. Um, and the, fir the first thing that came up is this TV show. I don't know if there's any Peacemaker TV show watchers, but it's a TV show that was launched in 2022. It looks like trash, but um, it was called The Peacemaker. So I, don't, I didn't bother looking at that much. But anyways, um, the other, you know, you might think of like a political figure, like maybe a Gandhi or somebody like that as being a peacemaker, uh, somebody that gets a lot of peace treaties signed or does something really radical. Um, maybe you think of them as a peacemaker, right? Those are the peacemakers the world has to offer. Um, here's one that you all might be familiar with. This is the, uh, the Colt 45 revolver. Uh, came out in the late 19th century, known as, what is it? The peacemaker. Yep, you got that right. That's the peacemaker. Um, 
Here's another one. I don't, you may not be familiar with this one. This is an intercontinental ballistic missile. Um, it has a nuclear warhead uh, payload of, I guess the nuclear warhead size is about 20 times greater than that that was dropped on Hiroshima. Uh, this was in the nuclear arsenal in the U.S. Uh, in the mid-80s and all the, all the silos in the U.S. Um, it was commissioned by Ronald Reagan. Uh, I was in service for 20 years, uh, no longer in service, uh, but this was Ronald Reagan called the peacekeeper. And um, in a sense, it did its job, right? We didn't go to war with Russia, so it did its job. Uh, but like um, this, as well as many peace the world has to offer us, I like this uh, quote. I don't know who it was. Some people attributed it to Thomas Jefferson, but is, this is what, you know, the peace the world has to offer. Peace is that brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. <laughs> and that is true. I play, I play, uh, I like this genre of games where you're like civilization, pretending to be a civilization, and you build up your civilization. And one thing you want to do is make peace with certain other tribes so that you don't get obliterated. Uh, but the, the only point is so that you can hold them off for a little while until you build up a strong enough army to, to break peace and then uh, obliterate them. <laughs> and so... There is a distinction, right? Can you all agree with me? The peace that Jesus offers us is eternal and everlasting. There's no reason to uh, reload <laughs> um, when we're at peace with Christ. Now, our nature, given kind of what we looked at here, our nature is not to be peacemaking. Um, when Jesus was talking, and I'll, I'll put this up on the... Um, the screen, but in Matthew uh, chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he's talking about the fruit that comes out of us, right? And basically, you're going to be known by your fruit. And when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man of good treasures of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be ju justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. And so what Jesus is saying here is that if you are not born again, if you don't have Christ in you, there's no way for you to bring forth good fruit. And our speech, our actions will ultimately reflect that. We can fake it, maybe. We could do a peace treaty for 10 years, 20 years. We can fake it for a while but eventually our nature will come out. And so um, what I want to do is take two fleshly, our natural person, two kind of titles. The first one I'm going to call troublemaker as an alternate to peacemaker. And the reason why I want to talk about this, I usually don't want to focus on our, our flesh during a, a Sunday service, 
um, but is mainly to recognize how this comes out in our lives, right? So that um, myself, you, when you see this as a fruit of your life, that you can immediately recognize it and repent. Um, if you're in uh, Matthew's gospel, still in chapter 5, you can see in the, the same sermon that Jesus is speaking, we're going to look ahead to verse 22. And we're going to look at what I'm calling the, uh, the troublemaker, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And uh, let me ask a question. Now, this is going to be a raise of hand question. How many people have said Raka recently to their, to their brother? Yeah, <laughs> one in the back. <laughs> Nick, thank you for the com comic relief there. Uh, not too many Rakas going around. Um, this word is not translated into English in most, a lot of the translations here in New King James. I'm going to go ahead and translate it. The reason why I was left in the original language is, is because it kind of gives a the word itself has a sound that is kind of demeaning, and I think that's why they left it. I, that's what I read, at least. Um, and it was a common saying, like, uh, uh, you know, sayings we have nowadays where we're talking about people. It's like it was a common saying back then. It wasn't necessarily um, something real vulgar. It was just a common saying that you would say about somebody else. And the, the closest term I could find that we, we use today is idiot. It's basically meaning um, you're not quite you don't have quite the mind or the intelligence I have, right? You idiot. That person's an idiot, right? It's not super vulgar, but it portrays that uh, same sense as Raka did back in those days. And so the, um, what I would say is, you know, when we're, we, we need to be careful. I mean, here we're talking about a brother, Right? And this could come in the context of uh, a ministry. I mean, really, you could, you could say someone leading a ministry. Man, I can't believe they did it that way. What an idiot. Right? And what Jesus is saying is that, what I think he's saying is we're being troublemakers. This is not, this is not a calling on our lives to criticize someone else in this way, to demean them, to say they're, they're basically you're saying they're less intelligent than you are when you're saying that. Um, somebody may have cut you off on the way to church this morning, right? What did you say? <laughs> All right. Uh, so we need to be careful of that. Um, you fool, you idiot, those kinds of th things. When we're thinking about or saying that about other people, uh, that could bring division. Um, and it's the opposite of a peacemaker. The other... Uh, you know, there's probably multiple ways our flesh could deal with people. But the other one that came to mind that the Bible speaks about is what I'll call the people pleaser. And um, the, the dangerous thing about the people pleaser is they usually think they're peacemakers uh, because their desire is to please people, right? Uh, but it can be dangerous. The Bible does speak about this quite a bit. Um, I think the, the people pleaser... The Bible speaks of is called the flatterer, 
you know, th those who engage in flattery, um, they don't want people to be upset with them. They want to draw people to themselves. So they'll say things that for the purpose of avoiding conflict, right? And so they say things that aren't completely true or they withhold truth to avoid conflict. And a lot of times it's the intention of keeping the peace, right? You want to keep the peace and so you flatter people. Um, but we know from scripture that this is not the calling upon our lives. And I hear the phrase nowadays says, uh, you be you. Have you heard that? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. In a sense, the, the people pleaser thing, you be you, you know, uh, sorry if you've said that, but um, that's, that's the way I hear it because really we should be closer to Christ. We shouldn't be us, right? We shouldn't be us in the flesh. We should be drawing closer to Christ. And so you be you is kind of that uh, not a good message um, for people. Um, I'm going to look at Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 18, and we'll look at this kind of people pleaser Paul speaking here, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, um, if you guys kind of just an overview of Jesus' teachings, you realize he was the opposite of a people pleaser, right? He, he drove people. Um, yeah, he attracted a lot of people, but he drove a lot of people away by what he said. Um, one of his, um, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, this is, you know, a very common verse. You guys have probably heard it. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so it's a rejection of yourself. It's not a building up of selfish desires, but a rejection of self that we are called to. And um, Jesus exemplified that in his ministry of saying hard things that people struggled with, right? So a true peacemaker will be willing to say hard things about other people. Um, People pleasing, the scriptures also talk about this with the watered down gospel, right? That, um, and there's churches nowadays, it's very common. Um, I remember maybe a teaching Pastor Jonathan did um, about asking Jesus into your heart. I think did you, you might have mentioned that once. But yeah, I mean, it's the idea that you try to avoid the words like sin and repentance and the things that are required in the gospel um, to follow Jesus and to believe in Jesus, the humility that, that God requires of us. And so a watered-down gospel will, will kind of put those difficult things aside and just talk about how great it is to be with Jesus and ask him into your heart and those kinds of things and not talk about the difficult stuff. And so we need to be careful about that as well um, because those can draw crowds, right? You can draw people to yourself by telling them how great they are. People love hearing that, right? And First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verses four through five. But as as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And you can see it right there. Um, 
Our desire should not to be to please men or to draw people to ourselves, but our desire should be to please God. Uh, verse 5, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is our witness. And so the, the flesh will manifest itself. It, it does in my life. Um, I'm sure it does in your life. And the, the big reason why I pointed these out was just to make sure we're aware of those when those things do happen. I want to give you an example because this, this comes up quite often. Um, a, a marriage example. I, you know, what, once you've been walking with the Lord and walking on this earth long enough, there'll be a, a married person that'll come to you and talk to you about the struggles in their marriage. And I want to give you, kind of lay out this example to show you the different responses um, of those three categories. So the troublemaker, the people pleaser, and the peacemaker, okay? So usually it's a guy that would come to me, so I'm going to put it in that reference. But a guy comes to me and explains to me how he's struggling in his marriage and the things his wife is not doing to be a godly wife, right? So the troublemaker would say things like, well, your wife is a fool or your wife is an idiot. Uh, why doesn't your wife know better? right? Demeans her, right? Begins gossiping about her, right? That's the troublemaker. Uh, the people pleaser. I can't believe your wife would treat you like that. You deserve so much better. Do we really deserve anything? <laughs> um, but the people pleaser will flatter the person, right? Pump them up, build up their self-esteem. And the peacemaker will realize that something is broken, not necessarily between the couple, but between one party and God or both parties and God. There's something broken. Because in that scenario, if both parties are following Christ and meeting their roles in the marriage as laid out in the Bible, there wouldn't be a conflict in the marriage. So the peacemaker knows that what's broken is between God and one of those parties involved. And now I'm talking to a man, not the woman. So the first thing I want to know is, how is your walk with the Lord? Are you meeting the roles that God calls you to be as a husband in your marriage? Right? Because a peacemaker is going to drive to the truth of the matter, which is make sure your relationship with God is not broken. Because that's where the problem is ultimately. Now, maybe his wife, I don't know, right? But I'm not talking to his wife. I'm talking to the husband. Right now, if I have that opportunity, that's great. I could talk to both of them. But a peacemaker is really trying to bind that, um, that relationship between God and man, right? Even though these things are hard. It's easier to say, oh, your wife's being a fool. That's the easy way, right? So we're going to um, close out looking at what is a peacemaker and how to be a peacemaker. And um, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 We read, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And we could see there the perfect peace is uh, the result of the second part of the verse, whose mind is stayed on you, the prince of peace, because he trusts in you. And so this is a, 
um, prerequisite. If you're still in Matthew chapter 5, if you're not, go there. I don't think, you know, some people would say that these, the Beatitudes or the blessings laid out here by Jesus are just kind of um, isolated. So when we read, blessed be the, are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, that they're isolated from one another, the blessings. I believe it's more of a progression. And so if we start out at verse 3, we can see where, you know, if you have a red letter Bible, where the red letters start, and that Jesus opens up for us the, the way to be a peacemaker by starting in verse 3 here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And one thing that's lacking in my life, and it's, it's easy to be prideful in this world, right? It's easy to recognize ourselves, but God calls us to humility. And that's what it means. The poor in spirit are those who are willing to humble themselves and realize they don't have it all figured out. Um, I don't know when we're going to have a humbled month, but, you know, it should be... I won't go there. Okay, so... <laughs> um, but... This is our calling, is to be hum, humble ourselves. I don't think we can proceed down any of these other blessings unless we start here, unless we start with humility. Um, and then we go to verse 4. Well, let me, real, real quick, James chapter uh, 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's a calling upon our lives. And so then when we go to verse 4, we see, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we're not talking about, I don't know how the Braves did last night, but we're not talking about that kind of mourning, right? If the Braves lose or whatever. Um, we're talking about those who mourn. In, in the overall context of we're humbling ourselves, the mourning is based on the fallen nature that we're in right? Recognizing our state, our fallen nature, right? And that those who mourn because of that, um, we, don't, we don't wink at sin, right? That's the idea that we're not, we're not taking it lightly. Uh, when you're at, at step two here in verse four, you're, you realize that your sin is what put Jesus on the cross and we should be sorrowful when we do fall. And um, again, we're building up to this peacemaker down, down below, and I'm going to go through these a little bit faster. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the meek is, is a word that, um, like those who, who suffer wrong without bitterness or desire for revenge, right? So when people suffer wrong, you have the power to revenge, but you don't. And so this is the idea of meekness that we see here. And what I would say is that if you struggle with meekness, go back to step one right? and step two, and then get to step three. Because I, I really think this, that Jesus laid these out for us in this order for a purpose. And blessed are those, verse six, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then we get to blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called 
sons of God. The ultimate um, peacemaker, our role as a peacemaker, sure, I mean, there's, this can manifest in a few different things. The example I gave of a marriage was you're mediating between two parties, right? And that certainly is a peacemaker. Um, another example is you're a, you're a part of that. So you're, you're either the one offended or you're the offender. You could still be the peacemaker, right, in that scenario. Either side of that, you could still be the peacemaker. Um, the ultimate calling of a peacemaker, though, is are those who are sharing the gospel and mediating between God and man, right? That's our role as well as a peacemaker is to draw that gap between God and man and mediate and share the gospel. Um, Second Corinthians, Jesus, or, um, Paul describes this as a, a ministry of ours. Now all things are of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And that's ultimately our calling as a peacemaker, is to bring the gospel to the world and to change what, where we stand in the flesh as enemies of God to being at peace with God, right? To share the gospel, share the good news, and let the Holy Spirit do the work in a person's heart. Um, I want to give one example um, and we're almost closing. Actually, the worship team can come on up. Have you all seen the movie Hoosiers? Anybody? Hoosiers? It's only the older people back here, yeah. That's okay. All right, Connor's on board. Um, it's a decent movie, you know? It's a good movie. It's about a, uh, a uh, small town in Indiana, a basketball team, real small town. They play at like an old gym, not a, not a great team. Their star player, it stories a lot about their star player, but they bring a new coach in, and it's about the journey that he takes this team through to the state championship. And um, there's one thing that kind of seen in that movie that kind of reminded me of the teaching today. They walk into the, um, to the state championship, and they're in Indianapolis, and this is, takes place in the 1950s. So a lot of these kids probably hadn't left their hometown ever. And now they're in the big city. They walk into the gym. And they're just blown away by the size of this gym. You know, it probably holds a couple thousand people. And they're used to playing in front of, you know, 50 people or 100 people in their hometown. And so they're just blown away. And they're just, they're like, how can we even play here? And uh, so the coach takes out a tape measure, if you guys remember. And he starts measuring out the basketball court. You know, it's like, hey, hey, you know, sends a couple of players over. How tall is that rim? And he measures it. And it's 10 feet. And they start measuring out the dimensions of the court. And he's explaining to them that this is exactly the same way it is at home, right? Nothing has changed. The rules haven't changed. The court hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. And this reminds me of kind of the world we're in, where there's all these things changing around us in the world. Uh, you know, new politicians, new, 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 new stories to pay attention to, to look at. But as far as following Christ... Our commission hasn't changed. Our call to be peacemakers haven't changed. The commands of Christ he's given to us haven't changed. The gospel message hasn't changed. The rules haven't changed. The court hasn't changed. The game hasn't changed. But don't be distracted by the, you know, the surroundings that we may be in next week or next year or two years from now. We need to keep on with the, uh, the mission that Christ has given us. So I'm going to pray and close and... Um,
and then we'll close with a song of worship. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this morning, Lord. I pray that, um, pray for myself, I pray for the, for CR Church, that we would uh, just desire your calling upon our lives to be peacemakers, that we would uh, do better in those areas, Lord, that we would focus on your word, what you have called us to, to do, not to add to that, uh, not to take away from it, um, Lord, but just stay focused on your calling upon our lives, uh, that we would desire, desire you, desire to be closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.